John chapter 12, verse 21, very short text. Sir, we would see Jesus. Sir, we would see Jesus. I had a bit of a shock not so long ago because I was asked, invited to preach at the 70th anniversary uh, of the opening of our home church, St. Andrew's Eastcote in North London. That was a very happy occasion, but the shock came because I remember it being built. <laughs> I suppose from the age of about eight, when I joined the Cubs and the Sunday School at St. Andrew's, my life has centered round the church. In fact, it has been my life. But over half a century's worth of ministry, I've come to the conclusion that it's not the church people want, nor any of the trappings that go with it, but Jesus. And if they are not meeting him through us, the church, and we as individual Christians are not doing our job. When I was moderator in Thames North Synod, we embarked on a major um, project which we called Mobilizing for Mission, attempting to enthuse and train our church members to be ambassadors for Christ. Evangelism, the mission of the church was high on the agenda. But it was also something which was pretty daunting for many church members. People had all sorts of pictures in their minds when we started talking about mission. Maybe it's a door-to-door -door canvas, rather like the Jehovah's Witnesses, that we need. Maybe it's an open-air service on the common, and nobody actually mentioned soapboxes, but you could see the image going around in people's minds. Maybe we should invite some well-known evangelist to come and uh, take the, the, the village hall for some great Billy Graham-style rally. But hang on a minute, what are we actually trying to do? Is mission a bit like a general election where everyone is going around trying to persuade the population to join this party or vote for that candidate? In fact, what's important? Is it the party, the message, the candidate? Surely our role as Christians, as Danny was saying, is to show people Jesus. To enable them to meet him, to listen to him, to follow him, to give their lives to him. And yet this Jesus we talk about walked the world 2,000 years ago. How will they see Jesus? Now, we like to think of ourselves as a free people, don't we? we? We have a democratic society, a reasonably fair judiciary, the 
protection of human rights legislation, a free press, a little bit free, too free at times, we think. Although we complain about a nanny state which hedges us around with all sorts of rules and regulations, we have enormous advantages over people in places like Zimbabwe or North Korea. And yet, to what extent are we truly free? In a way, we are held in a sort of straitjacket incarceration by the society in which we live. We're enslaved by the need to conform, to, to keep up with the neighbours, to pursue aims and ideals which we believe will satisfy our personal needs and aspirations. We're pressured by consumerism, by materialism. All those emails from Amazon about Black Friday offers, the glossy magazines which drop through the letterbox, the TV ads constantly. And so, in a sense, we've forfeited our true humanity. Life has somehow degenerated to the level of animal instinct, the struggle always to look after and to better ourselves. And that is very simply what is called sin. Remember when the children of Israel uh, fled from Egypt, were pursued by Pharaoh's chariots and horsemen, the people cried out in their despair, why didn't you leave us alone to serve the Egyptians? It would have been better than dying out here in the wilderness. They preferred captivity. They say that there's a, a number of old lags who go out and commit some a uh, pretty obvious petty crime in mid-December so that they can be sure to be locked up and enjoy the uh, uh, Christmas in the familiar warmth and comradeship of the Nick. In a way, the human race seems to prefer slavery to freedom. So many people are like, say, a magnificent pipe organ a very high quality, costing hundreds of thousands of pounds, which is only used at the interval in a football match. Or some fabulous old master worth millions hung in a basement storeroom. This is just not what we have been created for. Our purpose, our lives remain unfulfilled. Now, all parents want the, the best for their children, and our Heavenly Father is no exception. He has created us. He loves us. And he wants us to be free from all that enslaves us. I think I've probably recounted to you before how one of the um, most awful uh, experiences in training for the ministry in my day uh, was the trial sermon you had to preach in the cottage chapel before one's peers. Uh, you led the service and you, you preached on a Friday evening and then we all went into the dining hall for dinner 
after which we repaired to the common room where the four professors took it in turns to tear our sermon to tiny little pieces as we shrunk lower and lower in our seats. And I will never forget one hapless student being told that his overlong sermon could have been cut in half and it wouldn't have mattered really very much which half. <laughs> My first trial sermon was on that wonderful passage from Hebrews chapter 1. In many and various ways, God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. All down history, God has tried to speak to his people. Think of all the prophets, the priests, the pastors there have been. His will, his purpose is clearly enshrined in his word, revealed in the scriptures of the Old and the New Testaments. But apart from the faithful few, the human race seems to have preferred darkness to light. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his Son. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We frail, fallible human beings have ignored the, the pleadings of the preachers, the cajoling of the prophets. We've been deaf to the call of God himself. Every attempt he's made to communicate with his family seems to have gone unnoticed and unheeded. We've gone our own sweet way. And so in the end, God comes himself. Emmanuel means God with us. The message is no longer second-hand. In Jesus Christ, God has spoken to his people in a language we can't fail to comprehend. Jesus is the word of God. In him we encounter the Father, not as some divine manifestation, but humbly, quietly, in our context, on our terms. Today, in this season of Advent, we prepare once more to celebrate the incarnation, the coming of God amongst us, a saviour, and as friend. All through the years there's been controversy about who Jesus really is. Some like the Arians of old and the Jehovah's Witnesses today tell us that, well, Jesus is not really God. Others like the Docetists or the Christian scientists today tell us that he's not really a human being. Certainly this fusion of God and man has always been a problem to, 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 to many. But if we truly believe that despite all our sins, all our failures, we human beings have been created by God in his own image, there's surely no need 
to se separate God's divinity from his humanity. The, the former is, is revealed through the latter. He is the only man without sin. He is the pure image of God in man. He's what Martin Luther once called the proper man. His divinity stands out for all to see in his humanity. In Jesus we see revealed vividly, unmistakably, once and for all, what life really is about. What being a human being really means. Because of all our human failings and weaknesses, we are but pure, we are but pale reflections of the God in whose image we have been made. But because of Jesus, we know something of God's true love for us and how we are created to live in harmony with him and with our fellow beings in his family. Okay, then Jesus is the model, the pattern, the example, the final standard of what it means to be a person shaped in God's image. But I say again, Jesus was incarnate 2,000 years ago. People are still saying, sir, we would see Jesus. How? Where is he? Could it not just be that this is our job, weak and inadequate, though we feel? Jesus knew full well that he wasn't going to be around in the flesh forever. Isn't that why he told his disciples, go therefore to all nations and make them my disciples, baptize them, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, and I'll be with you to the end of time. Paul tells Christians in places like Corinth, he says, you are God's temple where the Spirit of God dwells. And he loves, Paul loves to use this picture of the church as the body of Christ. Now you are Christ's body. Each of you a limb or organ of it. When Jesus was here amongst us, he went around healing people, comforting the sad, feeding the hungry, forgiving people's sins, proclaiming the good news. But now he's not here to do that. We are his body, called to carry on his work. We are therefore, says Paul, ambassadors for Christ. It's as if God were making his appeal through us. Now, these are wonderful images, aren't they? But how daunting. Paul was good at expressing these things, challenging us to follow. I have been crucified with Christ, he tells us. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. If people are going to see Jesus today is not going to be in person as it was 2,000 years ago. It's going to be through you and through me. Our job 
as Christians is to be his body, as Danny said. To carry on his work and his ministry in his name and in the faith that he's with us every step of the way. Well, quite frankly, I know for one that I'm not really quite up to it. All my adult life I have been trying to be a disciple, to follow this Jesus, to do his bidding as best I can. But boy, don't I know my limitations. One of the problems with us Christians, particularly those of us who live in the old Christian world of Europe and North America, is to think somehow that it's all on our shoulders. We suffer from an enormous spiritual inferiority complex. Lord, I'm not good enough. I'm too young. Or, I suspect more, I'm too old. I wouldn't know what to say. But you see, it's not up to us in that way. Our calling is to be faithful, to follow Jesus, to trust him to use us to reflect something of his, his peace and his joy and his saving love out into the world round about us. And that's why I don't think we have to go around necessarily knocking on strangers' doors or standing on soapboxes or holding great rallies. People surround us in everyday life. This church, every church, has a fringe of people with whom it's constantly in touch. All we have to do is to be faithful to be Jesus by caring for them, loving them as he has loved us, by telling them, by living out before them what Jesus means to us. Uh, many of us attended that uh, uh, splendid um, carol concert which Peter Swan uh, arranged with his brass band on Thursday. And afterwards my wife heard somebody complete strangers, so far as she knew, asking, what time's the service on Sunday? At Advent, we are reminded again that God came down at Christmas. He's revealed himself to us all through this incarnation, coming in the flesh in Jesus Christ. All we are called to be his faithful disciples, to walk with him along life's road, to keep in touch with him through the scriptures and through our prayers, to try to live out his life and reflect something of his light and his love to those around us with whom we brush shoulders every day. When people say to us, Sir, we would see Jesus. Let's never forget that we are his body, his ambassadors. Now he is making his appeal through us. However inadequately, 
they must meet with this Jesus through you and through me. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.